0: Alright, welcome everyone. Um, excited to have you all for another week of Core cool Church, if, if it's your first time. Welcome guys, awesome to have you. Um, today we're going to kick it off into talking about, the, the title for today is, Who is My Neighbour? And we'll elaborate on that, but firstly let's just commit this time to God in a word Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We thank you that um, you are present. We thank you that um, there is something that you want to say for us tonight, Lord. We just pray that you open our hearts, that you open our ears, um, and that you just convict and challenge us tonight, Lord, in, in what you have to say, Lord. Um, we pray that you speak through me, Lord, that you hide me, and that you bring glory to yourself, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great. I thought since we are talking about who is your neighbor, i I'd share with you an interesting story about my next-door neighbors. Um, so when I was in year, I think it was year 10. I don't know how old you are at that time. Not that I'm that old, but just, I can't remember. Uh, 16, I think, 16. Yeah, you'd be around 16. Um, I was coming back on the train, didn't have my license at that point, And I was coming back on the train. And um, some of you might know this story. But um, as I was sitting in the train, I was listening to some worship music and um, I just finished reading my Bible and whatnot. And then I felt really convicted in that moment. And I felt like God was telling me, speak to your neighbor about Jesus. And at that point, I'm like, hmm, like really interesting. Like, I'm not sure why this is happening. All I really know about our next door neighbor is just hi and bye. His name was Cameron. Um, Spoke to dad a little bit and that was kind of about it. Um, So I had no real relationship with this guy. So I'm like, I was coming from the city and to get to the city to our house, it's about an hour in the train. So I'm kind of contemplating for the whole hour, should I speak to my neighbor? Like, I don't know this guy and just kind of going back and forth. But I really felt like I needed to do this in that moment. So anyway, the train arrives and of course I have to walk to the house from the station, which took about 10 minutes or so. Um, And then I reached the front, um, like in front of my house. I'm like, you know what, let's just do it. So I go to Cameron, I knock on his door and I was like, hey, it's me, I'm your next door neighbour. And he was like, yeah, hi. (laughs) And I was like, oh, do do you mind if I come in? Like I, I had no idea like what to do or say. Um, and then he's like, yeah, like, your parents, like, here or whatever. And I'm like, uh, yeah, like, they're fine. All is good. Anyway, he was nice enough. He brings me inside. And then, um, it's kind of where it gets awkward now. <laughs> I told him, I'm like, yeah, I just um, really want to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, "Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm um, like, have you been to church? Have you gone to church before? He's like, oh, I'm not really interested in that spiritual stuff. Or he's a real, like, Aussie guy. Um, not really interested in that sort of, like, spiritual stuff or whatever and I was like oh there's this guy called Jesus he came and he you know he died on the cross and he um he loves you and he's this and he's that and he's like yeah yeah cool like that's okay I'm not I'm not really interested and at that point I'm like 16 year old sitting there I'm like I don't know what to do next like <laughs> what, what am I supposed to do in this moment or whatever and I'm like uh, that's that's cool, man. Can I pray for you? And he's like, no. Nah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll pray for you a different time. Um, and then I'm like, um, that's fine. I'll just I'll just go home. And he's like, but your parents like aren't here or whatever. I was like, ah, I'll just go to the shopping center. Like, just made something up, and um, and moved on. So that was my next door neighbor situation, where it was a, a really awkward situation. Um, but I guess that was side note. But side note for myself was. Um, God was working within me in that moment to just purely be obedient in something that perhaps I didn't have you know, qualifications in or didn't really have much of an understanding in but he just wanted a heart that would be obedient to something like that because it's his job to, to convict, to challenge to bring someone to him It's not in my own um, duty but anyway, that's the story <laughs> um, we'll kick it off now if you have your Bibles, pull them up to Luke 10 25 to 37. It's probably a familiar passage in the Bible. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to be um, kind of unpacking that story altogether and trying to understand what Jesus is trying to say within this story. There's a lot kind of to it. I'll begin reading from verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So we have here um, to begin with this lawyer, and he was coming to actually test Jesus. And he's not some sort of criminal lawyer, as we might think that what that means. But he's actually a lawyer of scripture. He's a lawyer of um, understanding the Old Testament and studying the Old Testament. But he didn't come with good motives in that instant, and he's he didn't have a desire to change. He didn't have a desire to grow. He was just there just like the rest of the Pharisees. He was filled with knowledge, but he had no understanding. He was simply trying to trap Jesus so that eventually they could kill him. And he, and he then asks him the same question as in a different passage within the Bible of the rich young ruler. They asked the exact same question, which was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think for us, that's a great question to ask. As Christians, we should always ask ourselves that question um, until we find an answer, hopefully. Um, And in fact, it's actually the right question asked to the right person, but with the wrong motives. You see, you can do all and, and say all of the right things in front of other people, and others can notice that, you know, this person is holy, this person is pure, this person is knowledgeable of the Bible. But in front of the Father, nothing is hidden. And to this crowd, this lawyer was kind of the standard that they all wanted to be. But to Jesus, he saw him for who he truly was. He was a self-righteous man. He saw the hidden motives within him. He saw the wicked heart that he had. And moving back to the lawyer's question, Jesus replies to him and he says, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And then in verse 27, the lawyer replies to him and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So within here, the lawyer is kind of demonstrating the biblical knowledge and the ability to to understand what is being said. And um, he presented this to Jesus from two specific Old Testament verses, which kind of sum up the law. And those two Old Testament verses are Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5, which say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So that's the first verse that he mentions. And the second one is Leviticus 19:18, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this is his understanding. This is the lawyer who's been brought up in knowledge of the Old Testament, of this understanding. These are the, f- the verses that he's explained. And we have obviously in Matthew twenty two forty, where Jesus explains that loving the Lord and loving your neighbor is kind of the sum of those two um, uh, together. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus then um, tells him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. And in the next verse, we see the true condition of this lawyer. In verse 29, he says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And I read that in a sort of an interesting tone. It's not, it's not that he's curious to find out an answer, but he's saying that in a, in a mocking Tone to Jesus. It's a very sort of self righteous way. You know, he he truly believes that he's a righteous man. Therefore, he's not thinking about the lesson of what Jesus is trying to say or the words of Jesus. He's focusing on himself. And instead of kind of focusing on who his neighbor was, as Jesus, um, as he mentions to Jesus, he asks um, this because he believes that maybe him and Jesus have different. Um, ideas of what a neighbour might be. You know, maybe it's lost in translation, maybe he has different views than me, but you know what, I think I'm right. And you might be thinking, well, Dave, maybe in, in the Old Testament they weren't taught to love their enemies. No, not true. We read those two verses. But also there's another verse in Deuteronomy 10:19, which is Moses actually speaking, and he says, You are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. And it's further demonstrated in um, when Jesus was saying in Luke 6.27. But I say to you, um, he who hears, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you. Jesus says this because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law actually don't love the foreigner in their midst. They only love themselves. They love those who are exclusively a part of... Of their group. And if you weren't a teacher of the law, they, you kind of weren't significant enough. You couldn't be like in the crew of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But then you have something like in the um, Old Testament where it mentions, you know, if your ox falls in a ditch, um, show compassion on this animal. But they didn't even care for people or animals or anything. They just purely were self focused and wanted everything to be. About them. They were so self-righteous that they turned their hatred for other people that weren't teachers of the law um, into an apparent biblical command that went for them. When there was someone they didn't like, they instantly put them in that category of they're not my neighbor. Anyone that they didn't get along with, ah, oh, you're not in that category. So I don't have to technically love you. And what we see here is that this lawyer wasn't actually saved. He thought he was a believer. But he was far from a believer. And, then, and, and this is yet another person that Jesus encounters who is trying to gain their salvation through their good works. And a really scary part about this story is that this man had no idea about his spiritual standing before Christ. He thought he knew, but he was so far off the mark. And you see, this story isn't just about someone who is blind in their standing before Christ. This is uh, applicable to those who might think a relationship with God is about a goosebump moment that you might have during worship. Or those who think that a relationship with Christ is earned through good works like this person. And you might be thinking, Dave, like why are you focusing so much on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Because at times that can be us. At times, you know, we aren't Pharisees, but we act like Pharisees. And continuing the story, Jesus could have left the situation then and there. He could have just said, you know what, this guy is self-righteous. He's so self-focused. I'm just not going to address this any further and he can kind of move on. But he didn't. He chose to have compassion on this man. And that's when we get into the real heart of the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's obviously a lesson for us today, but it's also a direct answer and a direct wake-up call for this lawyer, on a surface level, this story can seem like it's a story about kindness, but it's so far greater than just a simple story about kindness. Jesus here, um, in the next part that we'll see, is a, is about to essentially evangelize to this person. And the thing about evangelism is, you are letting the other person know how lost they are in their states before you present that they need to be saved. I can't be saved from something if I don't know what I need saving from. There is no salvation without the recognition of sin. And the recognition of sin is not even something that we can do on our own accord. It is God who works within a person to convict, to challenge, to change and to bring about the growth for his glory. In um, verse 30 of the story that we just read, Jesus replied, A man was going down from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among some robbers who stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This road that is mentioned is actually a road that exists today. I did some Googling and it's called the um, Jericho Road. It's still around today. It's, um, you've got Jerusalem at the sort of top of the mountain, if you want to imagine it with me. And you've got Jericho at the bottom. It's about 27 kilometres uh, long. And it's a very windy road where the sides essentially lead to deep canyons. Um, So it wasn't a very nice place. People didn't like to travel that road because it was very common to have robbers um, hiding within caves, um, within the mountains, and they would come and attack people who wanted to go from either side to the other one. So now we have this man who is beaten up so badly and he's essentially half dead. And half dead means that you can't do anything on, on your own. Like you are no longer able to function by your own ability you need some sort of external intervention or some sort of critical care and um, as this guy's lying on the ground we have in verse 31 and it says now by chance the priest was going down that road and there's a continuation to that but i'll stop right there and if this is the first time you're hearing the story or imagine the crowd in that moment it was the first time hearing the story they would have been like yes like A priest is coming down. The story is about to get good. This person is going to get some help. Um, And they would have been sort of, you know, excited as to what's going um, to happen. You think, amazing, this man is about to receive some help. Um, And, you know, this person is a priest. This person knows the Old Testament. Like, surely they're going to support, right? And um, this priest would have also known the previous verses that we mentioned. So it's essentially his duty to to help this person. But then it continues and says, unfortunately, when he saw him, he passed to the other side. He not only walked on the same path. So imagine like there's a path here and a path there. He didn't just continue to like walk around or whatever. Like he, he completely like avoided the whole situation, walked across the complete other side to... to to avoid his rightful duty to help this man. And this example is very similar to the lawyer who's asking the question. They both know the law, but neither of them love God. Knowledge of God doesn't always translate into a love for God. John 14, 15 says, Those who love me obey my commands. And in in, in analysing this um, verse... Some uh, translate, not translations, but some sort of really weird commentaries in in regards to this verse. Kind of describe it as you know, maybe he didn't help this man because it would defile the priest if he helped him. And um, some say like the robbers might have still been hiding, so he kind of avoided the situation to escape. Um, And some even said that this man deserved what's happened to him because he's a sinful man. So there's all different weird explanations out there. But the thing is, the story isn't even real. Like Jesus made up this this parable, right? And um, we'll find out exactly what Jesus is trying um, to teach. So those situations, those commentaries wouldn't actually apply because this isn't a real story. So we have here the priest who thought he loved God. But you cannot love God and not others. The two go hand in hand with each other. So Jesus here is addressing a self-righteous heart or the self-righteous um, heart of man that we think we're better than others and perhaps that's due to our education. It's perhaps due to our status or our finances. In verse 32, continuing on the story, he says, So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, Now, what are Levites? Levites were people who assisted in the temple at that time, or the church, whatever you want to call it. Um, They were people that did a lot of sort of the heavy lifting behind the scenes. So if you want to kind of imagine those who set up the chairs every week or those who set up the instruments, those were kind of the Levites um, of the time. But they had a heavy connection within the church itself. Um, But yet, we have another example of a man who doesn't love God. And he walks right past, along the other side as well. So we just read two examples, perhaps three examples, if you want to include the lawyer in this as well, who do not have eternal life. Our humanly expectations of the certain people who should help have refused to help. And now Jesus is about to introduce this character to us within the story who's hated by the Jewish, leader, the Jewish leaders, and it's the Samaritan. And in verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You see, Jesus specifically chose the characters within the story in order to make a very specific point to the Jews, but also to the readers today. Again, what is a Samaritan? Context is good. Um, A Samaritan was seen as a nobody. They were seen as evil. They were seen as People that were hated and they were hated because they intermarried with different nations while they weren't, weren't supposed to so the Jews saw themselves as you know were a higher higher being than them let's push them sort of away. They stopped them from building um, Jewish temples at particular moments in history um, and even the word Samaritan was used as a as a curse word or used as a swear word and I 'll show you this in john eight forty eight The Jews answered him, "Are you not right in saying that?" you are a Samaritan and have a demon. So it's used as a um, negative sort of connotation here. The point in this parable is not who is saved. It's irrelevant because this isn't a real story. The point is that you have two Jewish people who are very much a part of a religious establishment or a church who have an expectation to help this person to help this man, but they had no love. And the lawyer asks at the beginning, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He was knowledgeable about what to do, but he didn't act out what he knew, or at least thought he knew. Because Jesus' qualification for eternal life is to love the Lord and to love others. And the lawyer failed at both. But then now we'll have a look at the Samaritan and what he did from verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Firstly, he sees him. He assesses his injury. He treats his injury with his own resources. He puts him on his animal, most likely a donkey at that um, moment in history. And then he takes him to this inn, an inn, you want to think of it as a motel or something like that in today's language. And then he stayed with him throughout the whole night. He didn't just kind of drop him off and moved on. No, he stayed with him the whole night. And the next day he takes out two denarii, which in that day and age is about a day's wages, and he gives it to the innkeeper. But kind of something that's really interesting about this two denarii is that two denarii back then would have kept this man for two months in the inn. It's equivalent to about two months' worth while staying in the inn. So it's a pretty significant amount of time. You might be thinking, why is this detail kind of so important? It's important because it shows the extent that this Samaritan went through. He went over and beyond. He did everything he possibly could in order to help this man. It's the ultimate attention he could have given And then after that, he tells the innkeeper, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And when I first read this, my instant thinking was, well, mate, that's not very smart. Like, you know, what if this guy kind of tries to scam you or tells you, you know, I did this for him, I did this, it's going to cost you that much more. And, you know, he will kind of scam him and make it outrageous um, to take advantage of him. And most people probably at this point would have kind of just left Like, you know, he's the two denarii, do what you need with it, like, take care of this guy, peace out, I'm going. But the Samaritan didn't even consider the cost. He he had this pure form of love and this true definition of what it means to love your neighbor. In fact, they were actually enemies, not just neighbors. And after reading this story, I'm not going to tell you to put yourself in this Samaritan person's shoes because... And, and sort of become like this Samaritan person, because the point of the story is that no one can love like this. No one in, in, on earth can actually love the way this Samaritan did. And you might be thinking, well, I actually know someone who's kind of done something like this before, and great. But my question would be, do they always do that? Because if someone does this once, it's not good enough. If someone does this ten times, it's not good enough. If someone does this a hundred times, it's not good enough. And perhaps maybe you work as a doctor or maybe you're a social worker or maybe you're a healthcare worker and feel that on a daily basis you're helping those within the community, you're helping those who are in need. But unless you do this all the time perfectly and love God all the time perfectly, you fall short of the standard. And maybe you're thinking, well, Dave, this lawyer was asking about having eternal life and Jesus told him to love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, strength and love your neighbor as yourself all the time. Nobody can do that. Does that mean we're all going to hell? No, Um, we're all deserving of hell, but hopefully we won't all be there. That good Samaritan loved that man as he would have loved himself. You see, this story as a whole would be a lot more realistic if it was somebody showing this kind of love, affection, care, and generosity to themselves. Because we do that every single day to ourselves, not to other people. You know, we think we deserve things that, you know, we can, for example, happily spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on ourselves and we will come up with the most kind of way to justify my purchase of something. Um, But when it comes to helping someone else, when it comes to perhaps putting your tithes in, uh, we say, oh, I'm not not really interested in that or I'm not really going to do that. And don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's wrong to buy nice things for yourself. Keep buying nice things for yourself. That's cool. But all I'm trying to help us understand is where is our priority? You know, when we're faced with a particular situation, are we likely to, to question things so much that, you know, the purpose and the meaning and the, that love and that generosity is kind of lost in, you know, self focus and having the attention on me. Should I spend this? Should I should I go say hi? Should I, you know, introduce this person? Should I? Should I? Should I? Right? Do we make it about ourselves or do we make it about the other person? And maybe you find someone really irritating and the presence of them just kind of gets on your nerve and you don't really enjoy spending time with this person and perhaps they might not need your money but they unknowingly need your prayer judging people is one of the easiest things to do and I know this because I do this myself as well and there is an ongoing lesson that everyone is carrying baggage there's this quote that says something like we are sinners uh, judging other sinners for sinning differently and this quote I guess in my opinion, comes from Matthew 7, 3 to 5, which says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? But what we see in this story is limitless love to someone he didn't even know. Verse 36 of the story, Jesus saying, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus here is explaining that this parable isn't about Who is your neighbour, like that lawyer asked. This is about, are you a neighbour? It's not about who qualifies to be loved, because we are all unqualified in that department. But it's about, am I a neighbour that loves in an unearthly, God-given way? So for us, this story isn't just about loving those who love us in return. This story is about loving everyone we interact with, even if that person is our enemy. In verse seven, he said, the one who showed him mercy, so he's replying to him, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What's interesting here is that the story kind of cuts out there and the next story is um, the one of Martha. Um, and it's kind of a, a completely different story and it ends and it kind of just moves on from there. And it's incredible because I feel like this story, like more, I want more. I want to see this like man's reaction. But I think there's an intention that this story ends there because there is no reaction. There is no real connection to what Jesus had to say. His response should have been, you know, I've never loved anyone like that. Like, God, you're amazing. You're so good. Just something along those lines. But there was just, it's full stop. Next thing, like move on. There was no recognition of sin. And what we have to understand is that there is no good news if we won't accept the bad news about our human condition, in that we are all sinful, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And there's actually a very similar story to this one in Luke 18, where it's about a tax collector and Jesus. And I'll read um, a couple of different verses um, from there. So from verse 9, it says... standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, this is Jesus. I tell you this. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. To me, this should be the the Pharisee and, and the lawyer's reaction. They should have beat their breast and cried out, have mercy on me, a sinner. We can't possibly love in the way that God loves or that the way that Jesus requires us to love. That standard is too high. We need forgiveness, we need mercy, we need grace on a daily basis. Romans three twenty-three to 26 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The point here is that aside from God, we can do absolutely nothing. We're definitely encouraged on attempting to love others in such a way, but we will still fall short of that standard. But it's God who can love perfectly. And in saying that, it's not that this story is disregarded. No, Jesus himself says, now go and do likewise. We're expected to do that. But before we knew Christ, we had no hope. But it is through Christ that we can be shaped that we can be guided into the direction of his love. It won't be perfect, but it will be worth it. And aside from that, it's actually a command for us to do this. The story isn't supposed to make us feel guilty um, about not caring for the needy, but it's supposed to make us feel guilty about not loving God and others perfectly and then running to the one who can alone provide forgiveness and eternal Life So just to finish up, my two questions for us tonight is: ah, who is your neighbor? and are you a neighbor? What does that look like for you? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the time that we just had. We thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are holy. We thank you that you are pure. We thank you that you gave us an example and that you've set the standard, Lord. Um, We're always going to fall short of it, Lord, but we have someone who we can run to, who picks us up, who at the end will hopefully tell us, well done, my good and faithful servant, Lord. I just pray that as we go into our lives and um, into our walks, that... um, We'll be able to love those around us, not just those who love us, but those who hate us, Lord. Um, that as we face difficulty, that we wouldn't um, push back on those things, but we would actually dive in and we would um, go under other people and lift them up, Lord. That we would bring glory to you by coming low, Lord, just like you did, Lord. That you that you came really low, Lord, lower than any person will ever go and that you died on the cross our sins, Lord. I pray that we understand what that means, that we come to repentance because of it, Lord, and we realize your goodness, Father. I pray that we can take this example and apply it into our lives, Lord, and that um, we can be uh, set apart from the world, Lord, and people can recognize uh, the Holy Spirit living in us, Lord. Use us. um, And I just pray, Lord, that Uh, perhaps a simple lesson can challenge us and and convict us, Lord. I pray that you work in our hearts and that you work in our lives, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.